morning, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Proverbs? And there's two places in Proverbs this morning I'd like you uh, to give your attention to. Proverbs chapter 29, but also go back to Proverbs chapter 14. So put your finger in chapter 14, 29 is where we will begin. We've been in a series of messages on pursuing wisdom from the book of Proverbs since the beginning of summer. And the book, uh, if you don't know this, the book is written uh, primarily by Solomon. There are other Proverbs from other authors in the book, but it is written primarily as an older man teaching a younger man about how to go after wisdom, how to pursue it, how to live a life full of it. And wisdom in the book is contrasted with foolishness. Nobody wants to be a fool. But all of us at one time or the other have found ourselves doing foolish things. And sometimes we don't even know how we get there. We don't quite know what to do with it. And so today we are going to give attention to a theme in our lives and a theme, a popular theme actually in the Bible. Trust, yes, but this theme is replete through Scripture, and it is the issue of anger. How do you control it? And you may be sitting here this morning, and you may say, that's not really an issue I typically deal with, but frankly, I think it is a bigger problem than most of us realize in how it shows up in our life. So if you have your Bible, Proverbs chapter 29 will begin there. Now, if you know, remember, we've talked about uh, Proverbs is poetry. It's a different genre of, of literature, and it's not poetry like we do with rhyming. It's often laid out in what's called parallelism, or sometimes it is uh, just one nugget, if you will, at a time. But this particular place, it's parallel, so meaning that something will be said, And then something else on a different subject will be said after that. And then he'll come right back to that subject again in the next verse. And that's what happens in Proverbs 29. So if you have your Bible, look down with me at verse 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? Now, Pastor Brad, a couple weeks ago, talked about the use of words. But the implications of the hastiness of words is really found down in verse 22. And this is words that are angry in nature. Look at verse 20 again. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Whoever pampers his servant from childhood will in the end find himself his heir. Now this word heir is a word not like we know air it is a word that we actually don't really know what this means in Hebrew but that particular verse you go what does that have to do with hasty words well it goes back actually verse 21 goes back to verse 19 you're looking at things laid out in parallel then verse 22 look a man of wrath stirs up strife And one given to anger causes much transgression. As I asked you to 
Look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29. Chapter 29 talked about hasty words. Look at verse 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Same word for foolishness. We've been in a series of messages through the summer on pursuing wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And this book was written primarily by Solomon. There are some other Proverbs in here, but it was written from the standpoint of an older man who was seeking to impart wisdom to a younger man so that he could navigate life well. And wisdom in the book of Proverbs is contrasted to being foolish. Nobody wants to be a fool. But we've all been in one regard or one way or another, we've done foolish things. And what we've been after through the summer is to learn how to pursue wisdom. How you find it, how you lay hold of it, which requires each of us to confront some things in our life. To confront that we do foolish things. And we need to let God's word come to bear in our life. And so this morning we come to the issue of how do you control anger? How do you do that? Is it an issue? Anger actually is a prevailing theme throughout Scripture, believe it or not. It's all over the Bible. The Bible is a good deal about it. And frankly, the angriest person in the Bible will probably surprise you. It's God. Isaiah says... God looks at evil, his anger does not turn away. Isaiah repeats this over and again. Romans, more than 50 times in the New Testament, Paul mentions that God has anger. Romans 1.18 begins that the wrath of God is revealed in heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And the apostle John in his gospel says that the wrath of God abides on the unbeliever, meaning that it remains right at this moment on those who do not believe in a God of mercy who has acted on their behalf in Jesus Christ, who basically regard that they don't have a need for it. The scripture says God's wrath abides on them. God's anger in Scripture tells us something very important. Anger can be, frankly, utterly right, good, and appropriate, even described scripturally as a beautiful response, the only fair one to evil. The only thing, the only loving response on behalf of evil's victims. But, everybody say but with me, but... But human anger in Scripture is usually portrayed as sinful. In Proverbs, the level of foolishness that we see laid out for us actually has, it builds. And it's most profoundly displayed in the person who's given themselves to anger. Proverbs contrast wisdom, our need to pursue it with foolishness. And in Proverbs, there's five levels of being a fool. 
hear the word of the Lord. And it goes from bad to worse. First off in chapter one, verse four, refers to a simpleton, the simple in some of your translations. This first level of foolishness just means you're gullible and you're silly. The second level, next down, the Hebrew word for kessel, chapter 1, verse 22, the most appropriate English reference is you're a fathead, you're a brickhead. Who likes being called a brickhead? None of us. But that's the next level of being foolish. Now, all of these you're not going to necessarily see in English, but they're there. The third, the third is the most used description. This is the man or the woman that despises wisdom, ignores it, thinks it doesn't really apply to them, kind of mocks it a little bit. This is the word for fool. The person who lives like that is a fool. The next one... The fourth one is arrogant, the arrogant. This is the fool on steroids, characterized by being driven by emotion, not driven by truth, thinks much of their own opinion, always talking more than listening. You know people like that. That might even, that might even describe you sometimes. The last level is the word that you'll see in the English that's scoffer. This is the, fo- the word for fool that means that they're arrogant, they're a troublemaker. Looking for a fight, always watching for an opportunity to start something. They have a malignant personality. He disrupts the peace. He gravitates to conflict. Now, here's the interesting thing. The book of Proverbs is about wisdom, and it goes from bad to much worse. Notice what is much worse. He that's given to anger. The most foolish of fools is that person. So, of all the foolish things that we can find ourselves doing, giving ourselves to anger is pictured in Scripture as one of the most stupid things we can do. This is what Proverbs 29, 20 is about when it applies that there is more hope for a fool than a man who's hasty with his words. The implication of those is found below. He who speaks rashly, quickly, and with anger, that person is foolish. The fool gives vent to his anger. He loses his cool. And the Bible is replete with this warning. He who does this is not wise. So whether you sit here this morning and you find, you, you know, so well, Brian, this doesn't really apply to me. You don't see anger as an issue in your life. I want you to know wisdom calls you to understand really how it shows up and move deliberately away from it. So the scripture gives us principles, key principles that we must understand in order so that anger can be dealt with, so that anger can be controlled, so that it does not master you. And frankly, folks, most people think that anger resides in them. They're just angry, but God shows us that there is a way out of an angry heart. So I wanna show you today what these principles are about. First, this. 
what we think is a small problem, blowing off steam, maybe you call it like that, blowing off steam or frustration or having a spell. That's what my grandfather said. He's having a spell, all right? What this is and what you might describe as small is actually a very real sin problem. In the Bible, sin has a progressive nature. And I think sometimes we don't see it. And from the beginning with Adam and Eve, they, who believe the serpent's lie, they disobey a command of God, they eat the fruit and find themselves hiding from God and shamed in the very next chapter. They have a son named Cain who kills his brother Abel. But before he kills his brother Do you know what that started with? It's our first indication that anger is present in the human race. Basically, what happened was this. Cain was disappointed in God, that God did not respect an offering that Cain brought. He basically thought that God should expect little of him. And he ought to be able to do whatever he wants to do and show up with whatever he wanted to. So Cain finds himself with God And God is asking him a question. Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? Now, notice this. The progressive nature of sin looks like like this. Mom and dad, chapter before, they're hiding. Next chapter, he's just going to let God see how he feels. He's upset. He's disappointed. And disappointment led to anger, and anger led to murder. And murder leads to complete disregard for life. Because it's not just that he does this. In Genesis chapter 4, later on, Lamech Lamech kills a man and then brags about it. This is the progressive nature of sin among us. It's not that we just get upset. It's not that we just blow off a little steam. It has a progressive hold in our lives. It grows. We forget that love begets love. And hate begets hate. Anger only generates more anger. And it's no small thing. Sociologists since the 50s have studied how the Nazis How could they kill millions of Jews without more in the ranks rising up and say, this is wrong? How can that be? It has everything to do with once you start down a path, what happens? What starts out as despising leads to hate. And the more that you hate, the more you will build greater hate and a murderous heart. The Nazis could kill millions because their hate fueled more hate. Anger works exactly the same in our life. So it's, it's no small problem. There's more. The second principle is this. Anger shows up, shows up in our lives when you're not getting what you really want. That's when it shows up. We don't really understand because it happens so quickly. Many, if not most of us, have this belief that their anger is somehow it's warranted. But it actually is not pictured that way in Scripture. 
It flows from one person or flows from us wanting to justify oneself and we believe we're on the side of right. We're angry because we think we are right. That's why we argue. I'm right, you're wrong. I'm smart, you're, you got right. Somebody understands that argument. It's the way it goes. And it happens so quickly. We don't even, it's not even, not even conscious how quickly it happens with us. We see it in scripture too. How we justify oneself. We justify our anger. Jonah, God sends Jonah to the Ninevites who the Bible describes as wicked. Jonah thought he was right in being angry with God because God was sparing the wicked of Nineveh. How could a good God spare the wickedness of Nineveh? He wanted judgment. We all have a justice system. And it's revealing about, our, about us that we have a level of hypocrisy. And it all depends just upon your point of view in any given moment. Let's just take, for instance, what's happening right now in our culture. Take Supreme Court nominations. Just depending on where you stand, when a nomination comes up, one side will be happy, the other side will be unhappy. And what's telling, each side, however, uses exactly the same language. There's concern that a judge appointee will be an activist judge that does not respect the given law that we have in the land and will base rules on their personal values and basically legislate from the bench. This is called activist judge. And whether you're a conservative or liberal, you'll describe the same situation in concern over the the nomination. Concern about activists, judges. Anger shows up when we're not getting what we want. And James addresses this. James, Pastor Brad told us a couple weeks ago, Proverbs in the New Testament is the book of James. So I'm gonna ask you to take your Bible, flip way over in the back. It's near the end. The book of James follows the book of Hebrews. And in chapter four, James deals with this thing that's going on in our heart. Verse one, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's this question. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Passions, same word for desire, deep desire. Your motive, the center value system in you. Are they not at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Now stop, look right at me just for a second. Right there, many of us go, what in the world? How did it go from desire to murder just like that? I'm not a murderer. I'm not killed anybody. He goes on to tell the le- levels, the layers that's in our hearts. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly 
to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Look at that. He gives more grace right there. Even in our sin, even in our struggle, God is ready with grace to help you. He's ready to help you. Cleanse your hands, down in verse 8. Cleanse you ha- your hands, your sin- you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. The hands are our action, and our heart is our motive. Purify your heart, cleanse your hands, your actions. What causes the fights and quarrels that we have? So in the, in the scripture, fights, this word, English word for fights means war. So this is the whole war. What causes fights? What causes wars? It is what's going on in the heart. Quarrels are the individual battles. Those individual arguments. He says it's this. You have motives going on inside you. And you value something so much, you will go angrily and fight for it. When you value something too much, it becomes not just a desire, it becomes interpreted in our mind as a need. And when it becomes a need, this want translates to an ultimate thing in your life. And the scripture says murder. Yes, murder is going on in that. Murder in scripture is not a small thing relegated to this act of taking another person's life. Jesus traces that back to your heart. Beyond the act to the heart. And we will give an account for our heart. Matthew 5, 21, Jesus speaking. Folks, this is one of those places where Jesus was teaching and he just came along and drops a bomb right in the middle of his teaching. He said, you have heard it was said of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That is what the scripture had taught. And then Jesus says this, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Judgment in both places, same word. God's righteous indictment of your heart. When we are identified most closely to the devil himself, Satan, the scripture says that we're full of lies and we're sinfully angry. John 8, Jesus said about Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand on the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And this is the place that you and I must be careful. All of us in this room must be careful. It's easy for us to assume that since we are not actually interested in murdering someone and taking someone else's life, we minimize Jesus' words. Hear me. We minimize Jesus' words because we think this doesn't apply to me. I'm just blowing off a little steam. 
But the heart of the issue is that an angry heart plays itself out. It has a progressive nature. Making you more than a little bit short-tempered, it actually means that you have a foolish heart. It actually means that you even have a murderous heart. Now, I'm not saying that every time that you get upset that you're interested in murder. I'm not saying that every time that you get frustrated or everybody, every time you're in the fast lane and somebody's driving slow in front of you that you're a murderer. What I am saying is that you may minimize what's really going on in your heart when you're not getting your way. The scripture wants us to understand the principle, the overriding theme that we see and that Solomon wanted us to understand is that anger makes you a fool. That's hard for any of us to hear. Many of us can say, oh, I make mistakes. That was, that was a dumb thing to do. But then to look at ourselves and say, I am a fool. That's a different matter. Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It also says in Proverbs 19.3, when a man's foolishness or his folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. You know what that means? It means this. You and I have a tendency to do foolish things, then blame it on God, upset at God. God you, God, you put that woman in her life. God, you gave me that man. Blame it on God. Proverbs 29, 20 says, do you see a man who is hasty with his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. That's an interesting word play. What does the scripture teach us about the hope for fools? There's not. In fact, which means this guy's beyond hope. If you have a tendency to blow it up, blow up and blow off steam on other people, the scripture says that you're foolish. Now, you may be that guy that's sitting here this morning and you go, well, I know people like that, but that's not me. You don't blow up. Yours shows up in a different way and is also replete in scripture. It's your countenance change. You, you're a walk, you walk off. You don't walk off to cool down. You walk off stomping off, you know? Slamming doors or this one that many of us know. You don't say a thing, you just glare. That is what the scripture calls anger. It's not motivated by God's justice. It's motivated by your sense of justice and what you want. We must be careful to not minimize what this means for our lives. Anger makes us foolish. And at the heart of an angry person is a desire to control. We desire to control outcomes. We desire to control circumstances. We desire to control people. It is the devil's attempt to make you most like him, actually. John 10.10 says this, the enemy comes to steal, kill. There it is. That's murder. 
He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what anger does. It wreaks havoc havoc with destruction. And this text in Proverbs 29 says that the one that's given to anger causes much transgression. You and I need to understand the, the NIV says an angry person commits many sins, which means it's not just anger. It has residual effect on others. No one wants to be a fool, but when you treat angry outbursts as nothing more than some level of frustration, maybe you're just sick and tired of everyone else's issues. Actually, you need to understand that anger shows up physiologically in your life. Flush face, nostrils flare, yeah. Your nose goes whoop like that. We clench our teeth. We clench our fists. We slam doors. We stomp around. And you know those moments. And when you're in sound mind later, we're blind to it. You are but a shadow of yourself. What is going on? What's happening? We're operating with blind eyes that the heart of the issue is the desire to be in total control. And God never intended you to live like that. He alone is sovereign. God wants you to know the freedom of trusting in a God who is in control. And you do not need to be. And all that's happening around you and all that he's allowing or arranging that he brings into your life, he brings not to cause you anger, but to lead you to greater dependence on him. Not to tempt you to try to force control. And when you don't get it, you get angry. But to, to, to bring those circumstances, to say to God, oh God, I, I'm struggling here. Help me. Bring that anger to him. Help me to respond well. I'm so grateful that the principles in Scripture do not lead us just to know, oh, we're angry people. Oh, we want control. God's Word leads us to understand you can deal with anger. You can deal with sinful anger in your life. You can deal with it because it's not inside you. It's what you do. Now, I want to be careful here. For those of you who, who are drawn to the way the culture looks at this, the culture gives us half-truths. And a half-truth is a whole lie, right? And the culture will tell you that other people make you mad and that anger somehow is just within you or you have a chemical issue in your body. We need to say what God's Word says. It shows us this, that anger is actually something that's acted out. It's what you do. It's what you do. No one makes you mad. You choose to think certain things and respond in specific ways. And yes, out of the heart comes evil. But just like Cain, God looks at you and says, sin is crouching at your door. And you must master it. But how do you do that? How do we master it? 
You can deal with sinful anger by first. Here's how you do it. You start by agreeing with God. This is called confession. The word confess means to agree. Agreeing with God is the first step of freedom for any life-dominating sin. So you may sit here today and you say, Brian, I don't really, this is not one of those issues I deal with. Maybe not. My guess there's something. There's life-dominating things that we all struggle with. You don't deal with anger. You may deal with a judgmental spirit for those who do get angry. Confession is the first step. Confession means to agree. Any life-dominating sin can be dealt like that with. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness and cleansing come together. God can take the worst mess that we make and begin to make a new day cleansed through confession. And I want to show you practically what confession might look like in your life today. Confession might look like this. You may need to look at God and you may need to come clean and say, I am prone to be foolish on many levels. God, I may be, I'm, I'm prone to be foolish on many levels. Here's another way. It may sound like this. I want what I want. And Lord, often this was without you in mind at all. I just want what I want. And I may know exactly what you want, but I still want what I want. Confession comes to God and, say, and says to God, this is what I've become. It may look like this. Parents, employees, whoever you may be. Here's one that's very familiar. Maybe you need to say, God, I cannot make anyone do anything. I need to trust you with all things. That's appropriate confession. Oh God, you have called me to trust you in all things. I cannot make anybody do anything. And those of you who are sitting here saying, oh yeah? Oh yeah. For a while when your children are small, you can yell at them and get them to do what you want. You know why you yell at them? Because you can get away with it. God intends us to not operate dominated by trying to control other people and other things. You will not create an atmosphere of trust by trying to instill fear in others. And ultimately, if you want your mate to trust you, if you want your boss to trust you, work toward an atmosphere of trust. Not an atmosphere of anger where you're seeking control. Maybe the honest confession really looks like this. You may need to just say to God, Lord, I don't know how it all shows up, but I know that I'm an angry man. God, I know that I'm an angry woman. 
things have not turned out as I'd hoped. Do you, do you know that even for the most wealthy, and all things seem to just turn gold for some people, do you know that they are like you? They look in the mirror and say, boy, this didn't turn out the way I hoped it would. I need to lay my anger and my sinful motives down. You can train yourself to be different. You can train yourself to think with God in view at all times. And this is the ultimate, this is the ultimate principle that begins leading you out of anger. Begin to train yourself to think with God in view at all times. God is actively limiting, ordering, and controlling all things for his glory and your good. He is working good even right now. He is working even as you face things that tempt you to sinful anger. God is at work. God is not trying to create an atmosphere where you're just tempted to anger all the time. He's trying to show you You're angry, you have control issues, I want you to trust me, I want to give you new freedom, I want to give you peace, I want to give you purpose that's new. But you're bent on getting what you want. And we have to confront this. You can train yourself to think with God in view at all times. So very practically, there's a couple ways you can do that today. Start working on your speech. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How carefully do you watch what you say? We've got to watch what we do that provokes others. No, you do not make other people angry, but you certainly can provoke others to anger. Let me give you how this often works from the outside in. You know what? People who are, can do foolish things around you and it can bother you. When people are doing foolish things in your house, that's when it gets you. The people closest to you. And scripture tells us, parents, even to your children, parents, do not provoke your children to anger. Ephesians 6, 4. By the way you treat them. You say, I'm not angry, I don't blow up. Let me show you what you might do. Maybe you're like me, that I've asked God to help me with this. Maybe this is what you do. You look and you shake your head. You shake your head at people. That is... An angry heart. And it takes one to know one. You show disgust. You show it as how you look at people, how you respond to them. Your speech is one thing. Your communication is the whole package. The whole package. And you and I must learn to think before we act. We need to remember with God in view that God is good and the circumstances that we face are in his control and I am safe with what he decides for me. I need to 
get the confusion out between what I want and what I need. And God is ordering what I need in my life. You're not always going to get what you want. Psalm 119 says, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimony. In other words, when I order my thoughts in terms of you, I'm going to turn the right way. Here's another key strategy for wisdom in dealing with anger. Increase thankfulness to drive out anger. You know, it's essentially impossible to be angry and be thankful. Can't do it at the same time. Anger is rooted out of you not getting what you want. Thankfulness says, God, you've provided what I need. And the more you thank, the more joy will chase you and the less tempted you will live to be sinfully angry. First Thessalonians 5.18 says this, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Scholars have debated forever. Well, what's he talking about? Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will. Is he talking about you giving thanks or is he giving uh, attention to the circumstances? The answer is yes. Give thanks for the circumstances because God is trying to draw you into deeper dependence And to give thanks because God's will will not be thwarted. He is doing good. Even when you're tempted and you're struggling with not getting what you want. Increase thanksgiving. It'll drive out anger. Thank God for all the things. Thank God for that jalopy car that keeps breaking down. That worn out sofa, that empty fridge, thank God for all of it. It'll drive it out. Finally, you can surrender your anger to God because you know he deals justly with sin. God intends you to understand that he does see sin and God deals with it. And I know that some people who are angry this morning experience anger because of the most heinous things that have been committed against them. From parents and from spouses and from bosses and from friends. People that they trusted have shown themselves as their true colors. They are sinners by nature and they're sinners by choice and they've heaped pain upon you. You may see your anger as justifiable and you hold on to that pain. And upon close reflection, you may even say that pain makes you feel very alive. I've also sat with people who have said, I'm angry at myself. They've been individuals who've given pain to others and they're angry at themselves. Look at the mess I've made. How can I forgive myself? God is righteously angry. But he doesn't deal with anger the same way we deal with it. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed against wickedness of men who suppress the truth. 
God's word says in Romans 2.8 that those who are self-seeking and follow evil will face God's wrath and God's anger. John 3.18 says that those who do not believe in the mercy, forgiveness, and hope that's found in Jesus Christ are condemned already. It abides on them right now. John 3.16, which we know, the hope of not perishing in God's anger is through faith in Jesus Christ. The anger of God is real, and he sees it, and God deals justly with it. And what God did for us believers in Jesus is something that we could never do. He deals with his anger by pouring it out on his perfect son, who is without sin and without anger, without, without sinful anger. See, we are all sinners, and we've all been sinned against. For you who believe the anger of God's righteous judgment against sin was poured out on Jesus Christ, and at the cross, you see the anger of God against your sin. He took your sin, and he placed it on Jesus, and God's righteous judgment came down on him. Your failure, you blowing it, Yes, God dealt with that at the cross. God loves to take all that's happening to you, uh, happen in your life and work it for your well-being. He always brings glory to himself and he loves to move you. He likes to take you right where you are from a cocktail of anxiety and anger and loves to move you to peace and joy and hope. Because of his perfect love for you, the sin against you is not the end of what life can be for you. God will judge those that sin against you. And God has judged your sin at the cross. He has judged the sin that you've done. You are not to live the lie that you simply are an angry person. That you can't change. There's no hope. There is no true hope solely in you. The hope is found in another outside you. The hope is in Jesus Christ who comes and raptures you to himself and takes what is old about you and begins to make new in you. And if you find yourself angry this morning and you know that you're a fool in many ways and have conducted yourself in foolish ways, Right today, the Lord would love to take you and place you on a fresh road where anger does not dominate you. You need not be foolish. Jesus is the hope. He can clothe you with peace and put you in your right mind. And it will begin by you trusting him with your life. You giving up on your way and giving yourself fully to him. Let's pray. Lord, that is our prayer from, for you by your grace and by the, the mystery of the cross, the perfections of your son, that you rescue us from our anger and our sin.
and you move us clothed in our right mind to peace and hope and joy and thanksgiving because you are good. In Jesus' name.